0: I want you to take your Bibles with me to John chapter 10, and we're going to get back through our verse-by-verse study through John today. And we're going to be in verses 31 through 42. We're going to finish up John 10. And I'm excited to get into John 11, one of the most, uh, you know, amazing chapters in the Bible, I would say. And, um, but today we're going to finish up Jesus and his discourse with the religious leaders, again, And um, the title of the message this morning is Stone Him or Serve Him. And I want to just be clear, you know, the title is, of course, trying to get your attention, but I want you to know that, and I I know you all could agree with me when I say this, uh, with Jesus, he's a polarizing figure, and either people love him or they hate him. Now, there's some people who, you know, are, I wouldn't say neutral, but they, they are coming to the knowledge and, and, and coming to know more of Jesus. So they haven't come to their conclusion yet. But I would say those who have come to know who he is uh, based upon his claims, based upon what scripture clearly teaches, there are only two types of people, those who love him and those who hate him. And the Bible said, Jesus said this, no man can serve two masters, either love the one or hate the other so we're going to dig into these verses this morning. It is right on the heels of Jesus' statement of he and his father being one in verse number 30. We know this was Jesus being very pointed and saying to them that I am the Christ. I am the Messiah, the son of God the long-awaited one, the, the, the one who is the everlasting father, the prince of peace, uh, the one where the government would be on my shoulder. Jesus declared before the religious leaders of that day at the temple that he and his father were one. And we're going to see the response of those in the area. I want you to notice we're going to read verses, we're going to read all the verses, but follow along with me in your Bibles. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in him there. There are very events in each one of our lives that we can look back on and we can say, man, it's by the skin of my teeth that I survived that. (laughs) There are traumatic moments. How many of you guys have ever been there where your life flashed before your eyes or where you almost were going to go into eternity? I had a moment like that. A few weeks ago, I was chumping away at some a steak. And I didn't chew it well enough and it got caught right there in my throat and literally I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Thank the Lord that it came up after some persuasion. But let me tell you, I was I was getting my heart right. I was getting ready to see my maker. And it was a little fearful, right? We come to a point in the text this morning where Jesus is seemingly in a situation where his life is going to be threatened or taken from him. He had made the statement of being one with the Father and, of course, asserting his deity once again that he truly was the Christ. He he, he was the long-awaited Savior. And, of course, these men and women... They were not truly seeking that answer. They were just wanting more evidence to convict Jesus. They had already determined in their minds that they were going to kill Jesus. The plans were already in motion to have him uh, killed. And so we come and we pick it up at the tail end of that and we see that Jesus, he's there. And the Jews, after they hear his statement, they they immediately considered the statement to be blasphemous. And of course, in the law, we talked about it, that blasphemy was in fact punishable by death. But Jesus, of course, was not wrong with what he was saying. He was indeed God in the flesh. And I keep reminding us as we go through John's gospel, the main theme of the gospel of John is that those who read this and hear this and and grasp the truth about who Jesus is, they understand that very truth, that foundational truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. And, you know, we're going to celebrate Christmas, and I hope that you do so with your family. I hope that you uh, have a lot of fun and make a lot of memories, but uh, I want us all to be intentional over the next Next month. This is one of the greatest times of the year where we can proclaim the truth about who Jesus is within our homes and without our homes. And, and when people say happy holidays, maybe you greet them with a Merry Christmas. <laughs> And when people ask you why you're going to be at church on Christmas Day, you say, well, because it is is about the fact that God became a man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's about him. He is the reason for the season. Amen? Amen. And turn off those commercials in front of your kids. My kids are already making their list. And it doesn't matter how many years that I tell them, it's not your birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. If you get something, so be it. Be thankful, but it's not about us here this time of year or matter of fact, any time of year. It's always about him, isn't it? If Christians live that way, if we fashioned our lives around the fact that Jesus is God and we serve him, how would our lives look different? How would we live out our our short space of time here this side of eternity? Oh, I would dare to say we'd all live a lot differently. So Jesus is before these religious leaders and he makes his statement of deity. And we're going to see that these men are going to play judge, jury, and executioner. Are they going to attempt to? They're going to attempt to execute Jesus. Now, the Bible says that then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, verse 31. This means literally as Jesus made the statement, They were already leaving the the temple area and going and finding stones. I can imagine, I have a a vivid imagination when I read the Bible. I can imagine as they all went out and they brought back stones and they made the pile of stones there. But I want you to know, even though this scene was an intense one, even though the angry mob had circled around Jesus and had armed themselves with stone, we see that Jesus, and we're going to see it here, is calm cool, and collected, because there was never a time where Jesus was not in control. And I want to remind you this morning that there's never a time in the history of this nation or in your very life where Jesus is not in control. And I don't know about you, that brings me peace. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. I don't care what diagnosis you got this week. I, I, I'll pray for that. But I want you to understand Jesus is in, is in, in control. His, our life is in his hand. Uh, our, our days are numbered by him. He knows the number of hairs on our head. Not a sparrow falls without him being aware of it. And I want you to just grab that today. Grab onto the hem of his garment this morning and be reminded of who it is that you belong to. And whether you're facing death or whether things are smooth sailing, Jesus is in control. So they literally have these stones ready to hurl them at Jesus. We know the reason for their response was because they felt Jesus blasphemed. But the truth is, he he did not. I want you to see what they said. Uh, I want you to see Jesus' response. It's very... Collected and cool and, and I, Jesus is never ruffled and I want you to see it. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? So he says, hey, all right, I see you got the stones. Many good works I've done. I've healed the, the cripple. I, I've uh, gave sight to the blind. I, I've done Many good works, the Bible says, you know, he's done so many miracles that it couldn't be written in books. And he said, of which one of those are you going to stone me for? And they responded, of course, their response was, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. For you being a man, make yourself to be God. Now, I want you to know, Jesus was not making himself to be God. God. He is not making himself to be anything. But in his words and in his works, he showed himself to be what he truly is. He showed himself to be who he truly is. When I was playing basketball growing up, you know, there would always be those who would like to trash talk and they'd like to to get in your head and try to get you off your game. And, and uh, you know, but I always worried when there was a silent person on the court and and you couldn't rattle him. Sometimes I'd try to talk a little mess and and, um, it was usually those silent ones who let their game speak for themselves that you had to worry about. It was usually those ones who were the most unassuming at times. You see, Jesus he had to be identified in the crowd. Remember when they came to arrest him? Judas had to kiss him on the cheek so they knew who he was. Jesus looked like a regular uh, Jew of that time. He looked just ordinary. The Bible says there was, he was comely in his appearance. He, he didn't walk around like the Catholic uh, pictures paint him with the aura of glow around him or, or with a blue robe when everybody else was wearing you know brown. and He, he didn't stand out in that way, but his works... And his words, and I want to say something, God really convicted me of, of this too, that my life, not my words, you see many people say they're Christians, they profess, uh, every man the Bible says professes his own goodness and, and his good works, but what do my works say? What, do my, what does my life speak to? And I think this is where the disconnect is happening in our country, in Christianity, is because people know what we believe. They know we profess Christ, but in our works, we deny him. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. We we aren't living this radical faith that we see in scripture. Oh, I imagine, you know, we sang that song a moment ago, that we're going to stand with the host in heaven and stand beside our heroes of the faith. Imagine if you're in line next to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, tell me, and they ask you, what, what was your testimony for Christ? And you say, well, I put a bumper sticker and a fish on the back of my car. And I, I didn't hang out with people who smoked or chewed or, uh, you know, and that's all we have to say. And I just was thinking about that as I studied this this morning. Like Jesus said, hey, you may not believe my words. You may not believe what I'm claiming, but look at the works. Look at the miracles. There's no denying that I am uh, unique, that I am, of course, the great I am in the flesh. And so Jesus asked them, for what work do you stone me? And they say, no, we we stone you because we're trying to stone you because you're trying to make yourself to be God. But Jesus wasn't making himself to be anything that he was not already. And they knew this, there was ramifications to his claim. If Jesus were who he says he was to them, and we know he is to be true in that, then everything that he said was true about them. What did he say already about these, these religious leaders? That they were children of the devil, not of Abraham. That they were spiritually blind, the blind leading the blind, that they were not his sheep. They were not of his foe, that they uh, were were, were hate filled, murderous intent men who did not know God truly. And I'm telling you, this is why the world hates Jesus today. And they try to uh, knock Jesus down off of his his high pedestal above everything else, because if Jesus is who he says he is and everything in his word is true. There is a judgment coming. There is a heaven and hell. There are only two genders. There are, I can keep going. I can keep going. I'm telling you, because if Jesus is who he says he is, then he's God and all else are liars. And this is why they do everything they do to discredit us. And the message and, but I'm telling you, the way that we're going to silence the world is by living it out. Somebody helped me this morning preach to you. I don't know. Jesus was on a, he was on trial here, right? And what did he use in his defense? His works. And if people are going to come to faith in Christ, I think there's going to have to be more evidence in the people of God that we believe him to be who he says he is. I'm telling you, You know, I got a long way to go, but I was thinking about it. Most of the people who God so graciously allowed me to lead to Christ, it it came after a season of them observing me. I remember an atheist friend of mine. I was working at Bank of America, and I was thinking about him the other day, and I remember his name's Anthony, and Anthony, his car broke down, and he, he had no other way to get to work, and and. You know, I heard that, and God put it on my heart. He said, hey, you go pick him up, and you drop him off every day. You, you go out of your way, and you be a blessing to him. And I said, hey, bro, it's no problem. I'll come pick you up every day. And, and literally for three months, I had a captive audience in the car with me. <laughs> and I'll never forget, as the wheels begin to turn, and, and he began to open up more and tell me that the reason why he had become an atheist is because his mother had gotten sick, and when he was a child and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and she still passed away. And so he said to her in his heart that there's nobody up there. So I, I, I begin to just pray for him and pick him up and pray for him and we, we go to lunch together and I'm telling you, some of you, you need to open up your circle. You need to have people in your circle, people that you are in pursuit of for the sake of their salvation. And I remember just for those three months driving him back and forth to work. And I'm telling you, it wasn't a comfortable ride. I had a 94 Lincoln Town Car. It had no heat and no air conditioning. So it was summertime. And and I I remember, you know, us being hot in that car, but we got to work, right? I remember the day when he came. I invited him out to Lake L.A. to the chapel when I, when we launched that on the very first service, and he said, I'll, I haven't been to church in, in forever, but I'll come. I remember just preaching my heart out. I found the outline, Phil, the other day in my, uh, my notes, and boy, it was really hurting. It was suffering. <laughs> it still is. I'm a simple guy, but, but I preached my heart out. And I asked somebody, I asked, is there anyone in the room who wants to accept the Lord Jesus as their savior today. And, uh, you know, you're always, as a preacher, you're praying and you're hoping. And I, it really wasn't in the back of my mind. I didn't, I didn't think Anthony would raise his hand, but I remember seeing three hands raised that day. And, and one of them was Anthony's. Afterwards, we, we drove home and he, I, he must have thanked me about 50 times. I said, it's not me, brother. It's not me, the Lord, he he pursued you, he he loves you, he he wanted to save you. And I I just want to tell y'all something, we've got to put the rubber on the road. Don't get to the end of our lives and having not lived out what we say we believe. I was thinking about that verse I quoted a moment ago, that there are those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. What does that mean, a form of godliness? Don't confuse church people from Christ people. I know a ton of church people who wouldn't pour water on someone on fire. But I know a bunch of Christ people in here who go out to the homeless, who, who go in the highways and the hedges and, and try to win people to Jesus Christ, people who could never do anything for them in return. And I'm telling you, that's who we should be. And if you aren't that type of Christ person this morning, I want to encourage you. Determine in your heart, hey God, if I have another 10 years on this planet or another 50, I want to be a Christ person. I want to go and be like you. I want to live like you live. I want to serve like you serve. I want to love like you love. I want to be a, a, a conduit of your grace. I want to be extending grace to those on my circles. Sad to say, but Jesus is one of the most misrepresented persons in history. How many evil things have been done in the name of Jesus? And we should strive to give him a good name. We should strive to exalt him and bring him glory. So Jesus' is, uh, his enemies, or the ops, as the kids will say, they were going to try to take him down right here. They had the stones ready. Jesus asked the question, What, what good work are you stoning me for? And they said, Not a good work, but the fact that you being a man make yourself God. But they had it, they were almost there. They almost had it right. The truth is that God became a man. <laughs> You hear that? Jesus wasn't a man who became God, but God became a man. I want you to get that. He was 100% man and he was 100% God, the God man. And and Jesus was not wrong in his claim of saying that he and the father were one. So the judge, jury, and the would-be executioners, they could not move forward. I want you to see Jesus is going to now take these Men, these lawyers, to court. <laughs> He's going to, Jesus being the law, is going to engage these lawyers. And I want you to just grasp that with me. I want you to look at verse number 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. Now I'm going to just stop there for a moment. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 82 in particular. And I want you to just think about this, and I, oftentimes we gloss over these little things that are profound. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He is speaking to the Word of God. He is, he is verifying. He's putting the stamp of authenticity on the Word of God, Him being the living Word. And He says, in your law, and He gives a general name. The, of course, the Psalms is a portion of Scripture that's called the Songs, And, and there's, of course, the law, which we, we find, of course, in In the beginning of our Bible, and I'm telling you, uh, but Jesus is saying to them, in your your law, you lawyers, there's a place where God refers to man as gods, but not in the sense that you and I would think, okay? I want you to understand that this morning. I want to just kind of read what I read in a commentary, because this confused me too, but I had to go and do my research. Uh, Jesus argued here that in certain situations, Men were called God, and that's why he said, is it not written in your law that I said you are God's? Now, I want you to follow me for a moment. See, God had given his law to men, and he had put certain men in the position of judges. And because they would be administers of God's word, because they would make decisions, life and death decisions, uh, within God's people, God gave them the title of little case G gods, okay? And this was not in any way, uh, God saying that the human race, that we are divine or that, uh, that these men were, were they were imperfect men, of course. They were sinful men. But because of their office, they merited a certain title of respect. And I want to remind us, too, we are in a time where there seems to be no respect for those in positions of office. Maybe I might get in trouble for saying this, but I don't remember as a child going up to my pastor and calling him by his first name. I don't remember referring to my teachers by their first name. I don't remember... Speaking sideways to an officer of the law. The office is what is due the respect. And whether we agree with what's going on in politics or not, and yes, we should speak out and we should call evil evil, we should call a, a horse a horse or a pig a pig. I, I'm not telling us not to do that. But don't forget the matter that we should be, as God's uh, representatives, respectful. You can say something and disagree with someone and not be Disrespectful. And we have a whole narcissist generation coming up who think that uh, it's about my needs or my pronouns or me and how I feel. That triggered me. And I'm telling you, that is part of the problem today. We raised a generation of kids who have no respect. Hey. I think that this is biblical. To give honor to whom honor is due is what the Bible says. Now, I understand you say, Pastor, there's a lot of people in power, positions of power who abuse it, who use it, and, and they, don't, they don't really deserve. But I'm telling you, we must, we, we should be different and distinct in the world. We should, we, we should, I, you guys understand that we're going to probably win more people with our honey than we are with raising hell. Um, maybe I'm just... Stepping on some toes. But hey, God put that on my heart to say it. But this is what Jesus is referring to, that there were men who were given this label as God's because they would execute God's word and administer God's word and and give judgment. And, And so he called them that and he reasoned, this is his argument, is from the greater to the less. If these sinful men, these flawed men are, are called this in the Bible, then how much more and how much uh, uh, properly should I be referred to as God? And he knew exactly what he was saying. He used that one statement in, or in the law to to dismantle their argument. He was the law versus the lawyers, <laughs> and he won. And it was no Question at the end of it, who was in charge? Who was in control of this circumstance? They thought that they were in control, that they were going to execute judgment on Jesus. But of course, he used his words and the power in them to turn the situation. And I want to encourage us. Our greatest asset, one of our greatest assets in this time is the word of God. They can argue us and our our opinions and, but let the word loose y'all let the word loose. Let just say what the word says and just stand there and just, they're going to say whatever. I don't believe it or whatever, but we must be people of the law of the scripture. I want you to see what Jesus says. He says something in verse 35 that I was reminded of the word of God and how it is inerrant, that there's no errors found in it. Every word is important that verbally and plenary inspiration of the word of God. Look, he says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and in parentheses, and the scripture cannot be broken. Listen to this. I heard this quote this week. It says, the word of God cannot be broken. It breaks whatever opposes it. I've learned this, that the Word of God will stand, though all else and every whim of man, every law of the land, every other type of philosophy or teaching will will dismantle over time, but the Word of God will stand true. It will stand the test of time. It will stand the scrutiny of men. Oh, I can tell you story after story where men and dictators tried to snuff out the Word of God, but all it did was spread the Word of God. And I'm telling you this morning, you have a more sure word of salvation. You have a foundation on which you can build your life. You have a foundation on which you can base your eternity. It is the word of God. It is perfect. Oh, I'm so thankful for the word of God. I have nothing else to tell you, but the word of God. If I give you my opinion, toss it out. And when you go home, verify it with scripture. Is, is what the preacher's saying uh, true to the word of God? That should be what we all do. And I'm telling you, uh, do you have a relationship with the word of God? Do you love the word of God? I was reading the word of God and the word of God emphasizes one figure. It's Jesus. Oh, I was looking at it. I found some old notes on some paper. You see, this is old. I don't use paper anymore but it gives the names of Jesus that are found in the word of God. He's called almighty. He's called the author and finisher. He's called the bread of life. He's called the bright and morning star. He's called the captain of our salvation. He's called the Christ, the chosen of God. He's called the deliverer, the door of salvation. He's called the everlasting father, Emmanuel. He's the foundation. He's the friend of sinners. He's God in the flesh. He's the great shepherd. He's the high priest. He's the holy one. He's the great I am. He's the image of God. He's Jehovah. He's the righteous judge. He's the king of kings. He's the king of glories. He's the lamb of God, the lion of Judah, the mediator, our Messiah, the Nazarene, the offspring of David, the only begotten, the prince of peace, the power of God, the righteous one, the rock of ages. Salvation is in him. Savior of the world he is called. He is the truth, the true vine, the unspeakable gift. He's the true vine. Once again he's the way and he is the word of God. I can keep going this morning. names of Jesus the bible exalts one man what we saying this morning no other name but Jesus there's no one getting the book it's going to change you change your life all heard of these wonders of the bible there are seven wonders of the bible the wonder of his formation the way in which the bible grew is one of the mystery of mysteries of all time you know the bible was written over 1500 years on three different continents by 40 different authors yet it is cohesive it it, it does not contradict itself and that brings me to the next wonder the wonder of its unification, it is a library of 66 books, yet it is one book, the wonder of its age. It is the most ancient of all books. Don't believe what the History Channel says. <laughs> There's more manuscripts, and there are older manuscripts of, of the Bible than any other writing in the world. And I want you to understand why, because it was circulated more than any other book in the world. And it was verifiable. Uh, I'm telling you, there is so much evidence for the Bible. The wonder of its sale. Of course, we know the Bible, till this day, is the bestseller of all time. The wonder of its interests. It is the only book in the world read by all classes of people. You'll find a copy of scripture in the king's uh, chambers and you'll find it in a pauper's uh, tent. It, I'm telling you the, the reason why is because it is the word of God and the wonder of his language. It's written largely by uneducated men, yet it is the best book from a literary standpoint and the wonder of his preservation. It is the most hated of all books, yet it continues to exist. One of the things that I've noticed with Christian homeschool and with us teaching our kids and they getting them getting Bible in them, they seem to progress academically quicker than their counterparts who are going, sitting in the seat of the scornful, and and, and some, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, I'm not, I know some have to go to public school, but I'm telling you, uh, when I get to see my children read the word of God, their vocabulary expands, they're able to decipher words quicker, it seems that they're able to learn other subjects with more, uh, more accuracy, I'm telling you, the word of God is something, it is something beyond our comprehension, and this book is the only book that was Inspired by the Spirit of God. It always baffles my mind that preachers would get in the pulpit and not preach the Bible. That they'd have these fireside chats and they sent out surveys and and ask the people in the, in the surrounding area, "What do you want to hear about?" It's really sad. I'm thankful I get to preach the word of God because there's power behind the word of God power to save the scripture cannot be broken it's what Jesus is saying I read this quote scripture cannot be annulled or made void it cannot be set aside when it's teaching is inconvenient what is written remains written and like I keep telling us church let's just Be people of the book. Let us speak the truth in love. Let the word of God do what it can do. And then let the chips fall where they may. And watch God bless it. When we honor the word of God in our lives, when we live out the word of God, the Bible says, blessed is the man. That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate both day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And it talks about how that tree, that his leaf will not wither. I'm telling you, you getting ready to start a family, you better get in this book. <laughs> you getting ready to start a business, you better get in this book. You want your finances to be blessed, you better get in this book. You I'm telling you, whatever you name, you need this book. You need the word of God to guide you. It is a light unto my feet uh, and a light unto my path. A lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. You know, in those days, uh, they would travel at night. They didn't like to because they were robbers and they were beasts and they were the, the roads weren't paved. And you can fall into a ditch, break your ankle, and no one's coming. So what would they do? They'd have a lamp and they'd put it in front of them so they can take the next step. I don't know about you. It just seems like I need the light of the word of God to take the very next step this week. And, and some of you go through life like this. And then we'll see you on the side of addiction a few years. Hey, am I just preaching to myself? Like that song we were singing, I want to be where you are, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, he's here, right? <laughs> He's here if you have him in your heart, but I'm telling you, he's here. And when you meet with him in the word of God, oh, he'll, you'll never be disappointed. You say, pastor, it's boring. Oh, you better get your heart right. (laughs) Oh, pastor, I didn't get anything. Oh man, you're not, you're not doing it right. Something's wrong. I worship before I get in the word. I put the worship on, get my heart right. I pray for illumination. You know what that is? For God through His Holy Spirit to show me the Word of God. You guys think these sermons come because I went to seminary? You know, I slept through half of that. Don't tell Pastor. <laughs> he says, I don't have a degree. I said, Man, I'm surprised they gave me one. I'm just kidding. I, I did apply on myself. <laughs> The word, the spirit of God, not just the word, you need the spirit of God. We talk about the word and the word, the word only will make you big headed and, and, and arrogant and too, too smart for your own good. But the spirit of God, this is why we I love the balance that we have here of worship and the word of God, because the word it, its water, right? But that worship, it nourishes the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit shows up in worship. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. It didn't say he inhabits the preaching all the time. I'm telling you, it says he inhabits the praise. He shows up. Praise gets him in the door. And the word is what gets the truth out and what gets into the hearts of men. And God takes the word and his spirit and he does miracles. He saves souls. He, he transforms lives and it's amazing, the wonder of the word of God. All right, that was a long rabbit trail. 36. So these men saying that Jesus is blaspheming, but of course, he says, he says do you say to, of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said that I am the son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, verse 37, do not believe me, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may believe, you may know, and believe that the Father is in me, and I in Him. So Jesus lays out his final uh, his final testimony, his final blow to these men. He says that the Father sanctified him and sent him in the world. He was deity on a divine mission from heaven. And this is a wonderful way of Jesus to speak of himself, that he is in fact one with the father, set apart the one whom God sent in his stead uh, to save the world. And the works that he did, they were beautiful works. The Greek word here, the good works, it says that the works that he was doing, they were beautiful. They were done in obedience to the father. But they are also acts of blessing to men. He blessed people with his works. He fed people. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. People, of course, were radically changed because of his works. He's different than you and I. If we had that power, we'd abuse it for our own gain. (laughs) But Jesus didn't do that. He did the will of the Father always. It's a beautiful picture here. And he said, the the reason for the works was that you would believe, that they may know and believe. I find it to be true that a lot of people say that they would believe if they saw, but we find that often in scripture, people who saw still chose to reject. And I've heard this quote, people, uh, God says, men say, show me and I'll believe. But God says, believe and I'll show you faith is the prerequisite and it's not blind faith. Like I said, I just spent about 20 minutes preaching about this Bible, right? We have a sure thing to place our faith in, right? This Bible, it is, it is everything that we need to know about the mind of God. And and it, it makes sense. You know, logical minds, scientific, brilliant minds have studied the word of God and found faith in Jesus. But I'm telling you, when you go to the Word and you have your preconceived opinions about it and you, you're, you're going to it to discredit it, you're not going to see the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to steal hard in your heart and reject it. And I know there's those who maybe are watching online or maybe here today and you're searching. I want to encourage you. Uh, don't do so subjectively. Do it objectively. Go to the Word of God and, and just allow God to speak to you. Allow the word of God to do what only it can do. And so Jesus, the law, he, he, he defeats these lawyers. And I want to finish with this. Look what happens. When they cannot argue his, his words, they're now going to go to violence, right? <laughs> they're going to try to seize him. Look at it. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they sought again to seize him but he escaped out of their hand. I want you to just see that picture there. He, they, they had him circled, right? This isn't the first time that they've done this. Back in John 8, they did the same thing, but they had him in a circle and they sought to seize him. That means they were literally going, the circle was, was getting tighter and they're going to grab Jesus. They're going to arrest him. But the Bible says that he escaped out of their hand. I imagine maybe for a moment, that aura hit him. <laughs> that power, you know, some of you kids watch those 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 anime and you know, like those those I shouldn't even be talking about it, but like it shows shows like those fighters going Super Saiyan or something and, and the powers radiating around them and you can't even come near them. I I picture in my mind Jesus just turned it on and just walked through them. They couldn't touch him. It was like their hands were bouncing off of him same thing happened of course the night that they came of his his uh before his crucifixion and they said we who he said who do you seek he says jesus they say we seek jesus of nazareth and he says i am he boom and everybody all those soldiers hit the ground from those words The power that emanated from our Savior, the power that prevented these men from laying hands on them is the same power that lives within us. And I've I've learned this. We are invincible until God says we aren't. So go do courageous things this week. Go be bold for Jesus. Jesus knew his hour had not yet come. So he was bold. He, he, he's God in the flesh. You, you can't harm me. I knitted you while you were in your mother's womb. And so I get excited when I see this, when I see his power on display. But I want you to see it goes on. So the, the lawyers, those who tried to play judge, jury, and executor, they, they failed. But it shows that Jesus left, the, he left Jerusalem now. Look at verse number forty. And he went away again beyond the Jordan, to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. So when Jesus isn't welcomed, he he departs. When Jesus is hostile, uh, meets hostility, and is rejected, oftentimes he would he, he'd retreat and he'd go to a place where he could be. Uh, He could be accepted. I want you to see, look what happens. Verse 41, then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. The region in which Jesus retreated to was Perea. And uh, it was the domain of Herod Antipas, where the rulers of Jerusalem had no authority. And Jesus would be safe from their harassment there, at least temporarily. And it was in this place where Jesus was welcomed, and, and men began to believe on him. See, when you open your heart up to see Jesus for who he truly is, to, to hear his voice, hear his words, see his works, you, there's only one conclusion that you can come to, that he is truly all that he says he is and more. And they speak of the fact that it was because they, they believed this was fruit that was to be applied to John as well. Even though John had long been off the scene, his head had long been detached from his body, he, there was still fruit from his ministry. And one of the things that I found encouraging about John and what they said about him was that he performed no sign. He didn't do any miracles. That's interesting and remarkable. But His ministry was widely known. His ministry had great impact. He he did great things for God, even though he looked and seemingly lived out an ordinary life. And I want you to just grasp it with me. You may be living an ordinary life. You and I, we may be just ordinary people. I'm just an ordinary Joe. There's nothing significant about us apart from Jesus in us, right? But God can use you. I want to tell you that this morning. If God can use me, he can use any of you. And I want to encourage you with this. And there is no greater joy. There is no more fulfilling thing to do with your life than to serve God and and have the approval of Jesus. That's what John did. John didn't do any miracles, but he had high character. That's something all of us can, could do. He had high character. He did what was right. He lived a holy life. Uh, John didn't do any miracles, but he had a special work to do. He was the sent one. He, he was the forerunner. Do you guys know that God has sent us? that he said to his disciples that we are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature and that we we have a mission uh, that is bigger than us and and this is what we should relish and and live for. John didn't do any miracles but he had a deep lasting influence. Oh we read the men and women that we still quote today in preaching and the men and women that we read their biographies about the men and women that uh, changed the world. They were ordinary men and women but they served an extraordinary God and they allowed God to to work through them. They made themselves available for God. I'm afraid that many in the church today, you are off limits to God. Oh God, you can have me on Sunday for a few hours, but the rest of the week, I'm going to do me. So you're going to go to the grave and you'll have no legacy. You'll have no fruit that abounds. I was praying this morning in the prayer room with the few uh, remnant soldiers who still come to pray in the morning. <laughs> Uh, And what God really impressed on me to pray is that I would have and that they would also experience fruit that remains, genuine fruit. And you know how that happens? You abide with him. Christ, who is your life. Can you say that? Christ, who is my life. John didn't do any miracles, but he won the highest praise of Jesus what did Jesus say of John? There was not a greater man born of a woman. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to be a, be happy with my life, to be pleased with my service, to be, be <sighs> blessed by my love for him and the way that I live my life. We are so caught up in thinking that special service is only given to a few special people and that great tasks are not for the common folk but for men of wonder working gifts but that couldn't be farther from the truth there's some single moms in here who have more power in heaven than some of the biggest pastors in the world you understand me and when we get to heaven, the ladder is going to be turned. I always say the ladder is going to be turned uh, uh, upside down, right? The the obscure ones, the ones who 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 love the Lord with all their heart, who prayed and 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 just raised a family, who were faithful witnesses when they met people. I'm telling you, those are going to be the ones who go in before. Oh, Jesus said the harlots are going to go in before some of you religious folks. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how far you drifted. Oh you give your heart to Christ this morning and you live for him oh there will be a reception for you in heaven that you can't imagine there will be a word from the Lord that you will love to hear well done my good and faithful servant I'm preaching to somebody in here today. I want you to take your eyes off of you and get them on Jesus and just follow him and let him do, let him write your life story. Let him take you where he wants to take you. I promise you, he'll do more with your life than you can do with it on your own. Oh, don't waste your time. Oh, I'm telling you, this time next year, some of you won't be here. Live it out. I may not be here. Do what God tells you to do. I covet your prayers. This week, I'm going to be preaching a a funeral for a family whose son committed suicide. And and there are going to be lost people there. And it's on my heart, you know, just to preach the gospel and just see what God will do. Whether there's 20 people or 200. And I'm telling you, what is it that God has for, for you That would bring him glory. That's what we should be living for. That's what John did. I want you to see verse 42. In Perea, there were many that believed in him. I love seeing that. There were many who believed on him there. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, today is a wonderful day for you to believe on him to place your faith in his finished work on the cross. He desires you. He wants to have your heart. He, he, he desires your life, and he's going to give you uh, eternal life in exchange. And I'm telling you, uh, there is no better decision a person can make than to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And I, I just want to encourage you, come to Jesus today if you don't know him. And those of us who do know him, Something something that was said this morning light a fire in you? Is is there something lacking? It could be that we've strayed away from our purpose, our our calling, our our Lord. We've gotten all caught up in this world and the temporary, unimportant things that won't outlive us, and I just want to encourage us to, to do business with the Lord. Every time the word is preached, it calls for a decision. And I I have to make that decision on a daily basis to to serve God. So do you. And uh, we've we've made this thing of faith in Christ a transactional thing. Like we just, I went to Jesus one time when I was 12 and I'll see you later. No, it's a journey. And uh, it's a journey where, we have to continually seek him and ask for him to show us anything in our lives that, don't, that doesn't bring him glory and, and to get things right. So I just want to encourage you, do business with God. In just a few moments, I'm going to open up the prayer room. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward this morning. The prayer room is going to be open. If you need prayer for anything going on in your world right now, if you just need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, if, if you feel dry, and dull, and, and there's no passion in your relationship for Jesus, you need to go to the prayer room and, ha- and ask someone to lay hands on you and, and to pray for you to, to, to have that fire once again, for God to reveal what is it that is grieving his Holy Spirit in your life. And if you need Christ this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't put him off. Go to the prayer room. We, we'd love to pray with you, and, or, or lead you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today. You can call on his name today and leave here knowing that your name is written down in heaven, that you have eternal life and that you are secure. No matter uh, what this world throws at you, you have the Lord.